the adventures of Jungle Jim. The adventures of Jungle Jim broadcast weekly over this station are dramatized from the full-color action pictures to be found in the Comic Weekly, the world's greatest comic supplement which comes to you each week with your Hearst Sunday newspaper. Despite two daring attempts on his life, both of which he miraculously escapes, Jungle Jim finally arrives at his destination, an airport in Cristobal, the eastern entrance to the Panama Canal. As Jim, Kitty, and Colu step from their plane, a member of the Army Intelligence Corps meets them and takes them to a nearby hotel where Jim is introduced to Colonel Barrett, commanding officer of the Army Intelligence Service in the Canal Zone. The colonel gives Jim one final chance to give up the job, which in addition to costing the life of Inspector Channing, has already brought death to three of Colonel Barrett's best men. Jim expresses his determination to go through with the job and bring the traitors and saboteurs to justice. Without any further delay, Jim sets out on the trail of the saboteur. That same night, a motorboat with Lieutenant Watkins at the helm slips out across the bay. Jim's heart swells with pride as they pass a sleek battle cruiser of the United States Navy. Both Jim and Kitty gaze in admiration as the big ship slips along the placid waters. Oh, Jim, isn't that a beautiful sight? It's absolutely thrilling. Yes, Kitty, it surely is. That's one of our newest battle cruisers. She's going through the big ditch, the Panama Canal, America's lifeline. If that brief piece of engineering was ever destroyed or damaged, our national defense would be very badly weakened. It's threatened now, threatened with sabotage. We've got to prevent that, Kitty, and we can't fail. I realize the tremendous importance attached to this job of ours, Jim, and believe me, I'm ready to sacrifice even life itself to see it through to a successful conclusion. My one desire is to be able to do full justice to all the confidence you've placed in me. I know you live up to expectations, Kitty. You've proved that to me on three separate occasions, that you've had plenty of courage. The first time was that terrific trek through the jungle, fighting jungle fever and hostile natives and finally getting through. Then again, you showed me plenty of stuff when we were swept overboard in that tropical storm and had to fight our way to that uninhabited island. You certainly made good then. And it took plenty of courage to face the realization that your fortune had been swept away. And you went out and got the first job you could find instead of taking help from a lot of well-meaning friends. Oh, you'll do all right, Kitty. I'm sure of that. Thanks, Jim. All I need is a little encouragement from you, and I'll come through. By the way, how long are we going to be aboard this launch, Jim? Well, the landing spot I picked out is a place about an hour's run from here. After we've landed, we'll push our way inland for a little way and then set up camp for the night. Get a good night's rest and make an early start in the jungle country tomorrow morning. Uh, Sergeant O'Hara, come up and take the wheel now, will you? We're out in the clear, and it's just a straight run. Aye, aye, sir. Coming right up. Uh, well, Mr. Bradley, you got a swell night to start out on your little trip. Yes, a little too good, Lieutenant. I'd have been just as happy if we had a good overcast sky. The moon is too bright. It's almost as bright as daylight. Yeah. If the enemy happens to have any spotters on watch this late at night, they won't have any trouble picking us out. Yes, sir. You might just as well stay at the hotel, got a good night's sleep, and an early start in the morning. There's no advantage in traveling at night to cover up your movements when the moon is as bright as this. Mm -hmm. Now, let's hope the enemy doesn't have any scouts posted. After all, it has been quite a while since we sent an expedition in here. We may have gotten a little careless by now, figuring we've given up. Uh, this spot we picked to land in is a new place, isn't it? Uh, none of the previous parties have come up quite that far, I understand. That's right, Mr. Bradley. The rest of them all worked overland from our base. But it wasn't far inland from the spot that you're landing that we found Captain Parkman. Uh, he was found shot to the shoulder with a uh, native arrow, wasn't he? Yes. 
Yes, but it wasn't the arrow that did the damage. It was the poison those arrowheads are dipped in. A subtle but deadly poison known only to the Indians of this part of the world. That's the really tough part of a fight like this. You never get a chance to take a shot at the guy who's taking a shot at you. You seldom have ever seen them and never hear them. It's sudden but silent death that stalks those jungles in there. Well, this isn't the only spot on Earth where that happens, Lieutenant. I've had plenty of experience in the melee jungles where death is just as sudden and every bit of silent. Those natives there are quite as dangerous as these Central American Indians, and I've managed to survive them. I guess that's why they sent for you, Bradley. Our men weren't quite fitted to cope with this brand of jungle fighting. You know how to campaign in the jungles. That means everything. The brains back of this sabotage plot was certainly smart in picking the center of this jungle for a hideout. He's next to impossible to find. Well, I've tracked them down in just as impossible places. No human being is infallible. Everyone is bound to leave some telltale clue somewhere that leads to their downfall. Yeah. No matter how smart and crafty this head saboteur may be, he's only human like the rest. I hope you get him, Mr. Bradley. We've got three scores to settle with him. For Captains Barkley and Lawson and Lieutenant Dobson. Well, I've got a little account myself from Inspector Channing I'd like to settle, too. Let's hope I can settle for all of us. A little over an hour later, the motor launch put in on a jungle-fringed beach. And Jim, Kitty, and Colo unloaded their supplies and went ashore as Lieutenant Watkins swung his boat around and headed homeward. As the launch fades off in the distance, Jim, Kitty, and Colo start up the beach to pick a spot to camp for the night. But high above them in the rocky hills, a renegade Indian watches their approach with interest for a few minutes and then silently withdraws and speedily heads for the interior. His destination is an overnight journey away. But in this well-protected hideout, two white men face each other across the table. One is a thin, wiry individual whose steel-blue eyes peer through a pair of thick glasses. His gray hair is closely cropped, and the strength of his features are heightened by a well-trimmed Van Dyke beard. His voice is soft and well-modulated, as he addresses a rather bewildered individual who previously had been directing the operations against Inspector Channing and Jungle Jim. I see you are somewhat surprised to find yourself here, eh, Marsden? Surprised isn't the word for it, J-7. One minute I'm up on the border directing operations, and I go to bed, fall asleep, and when I wake up, I find myself here. I'm terribly sorry I couldn't issue you a formal invitation for this little visit, and have you travel here in the accustomed mode of travel. But the need to have you here was urgent, and I'm very particular about keeping the position of my headquarters a very close secret. Hence, I was forced to use some rather unorthodox methods to get you here. Well, I don't see why, J-7. You know you could always trust me. Can I? Absolutely. Besides, I was very anxious to hear the result of a little party some of the boys were holding in Brownsville. I can give you all the very unpleasant details of that little party you so carefully planned at the Brownsville airport. Oh? That is my principal reason for bringing you here. Oh, then the boys carried out the reception party successfully, eh? It is my painful duty... To inform you, Mr. Marsden, that your boys were carried out of that reception party on stretchers. Uh, uh, you mean something went wrong, Jason? Apparently. A sheriff and his posse, aided by the man you were out to kill, surprised your boys, as you call them, and abruptly terminated their bungling careers in a hail of bullets. It appears that little Mexican girl you place so much confidence in had an old score to settle with you and your boys. What? 
She betrayed you and your carefully laid plan to the government agent, who in turn called in the officers of the law with the result that your boys were trapped and killed. Well, I'll be... Yes, you will be, Mr. Marston. I told you when you were first engaged by me what I wanted you to do and in the manner in which I wanted you to do it. I stressed the fact that this was a secret campaign, that every move made was to be a subtle one. Our movements were to be closely guarded and we were never to take any action that might lead to an investigation of our activities by any government agency. Above all, I insisted that no gangster methods were to be employed. Now, say, look here, J-7. If this is to be a criticism of the way I've handled things up north, let me remind there you There is no it... need for you to remind me of anything, Marsden. I know all your activities far too well. You have disobeyed every basic rule I set down for the conduct of this campaign. In a very few short months, due to your uncouth, clumsy method of doing things, you have brought every branch of the civil, military, and naval intelligence departments out against me. You have exposed my campaign to the glaring light of publicity. Now, hold on, J-7. I'm not to blame for all of it. How about the three Army intelligence men that were murdered right down in your zone of operations? Those men's deaths were originally set down as the work of the renegade Indians until your activities in the North taught the authorities otherwise. Instead of being free to carry out my campaign under a complete blanket of secrecy, I now am forced to fight one of the most resolute, intelligent, and to my cause, the most dangerous man it has ever been my misfortune to oppose... Jungle Jim Bradley. He is here in the canal zone now, stationed at Cristobal. You can't exactly blame me for that, J-7. I did my best to get rid of him. But you failed. You bungled the job by totally disregarding my orders. It is most unfortunate, Marston. But having failed to get rid of Jungle Jim Bradley, we must now get rid of you. Now, wait a minute, J-7. Let's reason this thing out. Give me a chance. You have had your chance and failed. I cannot afford to allow you to remain free and further hinder my work. No. Therefore, I am going to give you your choice, Marsden. Your time is up. In that small room is a table, in the drawer of which you will find a revolver containing one cartridge. I am going to have you placed in that room. I will give you five minutes to decide how you wish to die. By your own hand, quickly and easily, or at the hands of the Indians who will call for you when the five minutes expire. I don't have to warn you that their methods of dealing out death are not quite so humane or as direct You, as you don't mean this, J-7. Give me another chance. There is nothing more to be said, Marston. Quito, Sude, take this gentleman into the room and lock the door. Then leave unless you hear the signal. Return in five minutes and, well, you know what to do. No. No. Go ahead, Marston, and for once take my advice. Choose the easy way out. Thank you, Mr. Marston. Now I am alone. Alone to carry out my plan successfully. No one shall stop me now. As the last echo of the shot dies away, the strange, sinister J-7 sits down in his chair and silently studies a huge map in front of him. But not too far away on the edge of the jungle, Jim, Kitty, and Kolo have pitched their camp and prepare for their first night of the dangerous campaign to save the Panama Canal 
America's lifeline from sabotage. In the meantime, a swiftly moving Indian speeds through the night carrying the news of their arrival. Don't miss the next exciting episode in the adventures of Jungle Jim. Say, fellas, you all know what that is. An airplane making a power dive. And speaking of airplanes, I wish you could have been with me this afternoon. I spent the most thrilling hour and a half I've ever spent in my life in the studios of Wallace Rigby in New York City. Mr. Rigby, you know, is the internationally famous designer of model airplanes, tanks, powerboats, and model giant ocean liners. I wish you could have been with me to see the model airplanes flying around, taking off, landing. Say, it was just like being in the middle of a busy airport. The reason I went over to Mr. Rigby's studios was to see copies of the new model airplanes that the Comic Weekly is going to make available to you. Yes, that's what I said. The Comic Weekly is really going to make a lot of these model airplanes available to you, and they begin in the December 1st issue of the Comic Weekly. Remember, December 1st, two weeks from now. Every week, the Comic Weekly will devote a half page to these model airplanes. They're positively accurate in every detail, drawn to scale with all the correct colors. And you'll find the full and complete instructions on how to cut them out and put them together. There will be a minimum number of parts to paste together, and the assemblage of the parts is absolutely foolproof and easy to work. Beginning December 1st, the first model will be the new United States Army fighter, the Bell Aero Cobra. You can start cutting out these models, putting them together, and start a collection of real model airplanes. So tell your dad and mother now to be sure and order the Hearst Sunday newspaper that brings you the Comic Weekly containing these new full-color airplane models for you to cut out, assemble, and save. It's loads of fun, so don't miss them. There will be more thrilling radio adventures of Jungle Jim heard at the same time next week over the same station. Be sure to tune in. Tune in.